and welcome to the Essential Property Podcast with your hosts, Paul Samuda and Amanda Woodward. With 45 years of combined experience in the world of property buying, selling, investing and developing, they are here to share with you their knowledge in the Stoke-on-Trent, Newcastle-under-Lyme and Crew property market. Let's get started. And welcome to another episode of the Essential Property Podcast, where we discuss all things related to property in Crew, Stoke, and Newcastle Underline. My name is Amanda Woodward, and I am pleased to have with me Daniel Sim, a successful property investor and developer based in Singapore and investing in the UK. In this international investor special, Daniel shares why he decided to invest thousands of miles from home and his success and challenges experienced whilst investing in the Stoke, Newcastle, and Crew area. So, welcome, Daniel. Oh, thanks, Amanda, for having me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So we're going to dive straight in, Daniel, because I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I want to ask you that I think is going to be value. (laughs) We have a mix of UK based investors and international investors that listen to the podcast. And as an international investor yourself, investing predominantly in crew and with some of your clients investing in Stoke as well, I think it would be great to just understand a little bit more about those decisions to invest, obviously, so far from from where you're based, um, how you've experienced it, you know, the highs, the lows, the challenges, and some stuff that you do locally as well. Is that okay? Sure, absolutely. Fantastic. So let's kick off and just tell us a little bit about your background, perhaps before you decided to invest into property and what you were doing then, and then, you know, why you decided to take that step. Sure. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I mean, I'm from Singapore. My name is Daniel, and I'm 38 this year. And I really started, maybe let me, let me rewind a little bit. <laughs> I started where a significant milestone in my property journey is then thinking back to my childhood, where I realized that, you know, growing up sometimes, or actually a lot of time, money was uh, the source of tension in the household. And that kind of shaped my personal belief around money that, you know, growing up and now as a father of two kids, you know, I really don't want money to be a source of tension in mine. And it doesn't mean that I have to drive the flashiest cars, live in, in you know, the biggest houses, but, you know, money is, is a, it's a good servant but it's not a good master. So how could we be then masters of money? And that really got me searching in many different ways. I invested in the stock market, I traded options. And you know, when I came to learn from a mentor of mine that has invested in property in the UK, that really opened my eyes. And I think it really fit my temperament as well because you know, I, I was so an, an anxious you know, in the past on my phone, like, oh, did the stocks I buy go up? I mean, I always joke with my friends that uh, if you want a stock tip, you just, just uh, you know, do the opposite of what I do in the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I buy seems to go down. And I think, you know, when it comes to property, you, you kind of set it up once. You, I mean, you get the right knowledge, you do it once, and then it continues to pay you for life. And I remember this moment where, where Claire, my daughter, was uh, a baby. And I woke up at, I think it was 2 or 3 a.m. I got knows the time and she was crying and I was changing her diaper. And I checked, I, I, looked, I picked up my phone and therein was an email from a letting agent. And I, I know you, do, you run a great lettings uh, outfit as well, Manda. And it told me that the rent for the month on one of my Golden Goose properties had come in. And I was like, that, that hit me hard. Like, you know, people always talk about the idea of financial freedom and investing in property and passive income. But that hit me that, you know, I could be anywhere in the world. Like I was in Singapore. It could be any time. It was 2 a.m. And I could be doing anything. I was changing diapers. And there my assets were working hard for me. And I think that was really, I mean, a long answer to your question. But the journey that led me towards um, really specializing in the UK, being wanting, and people ask me, do I invest in other countries? I don't. I primarily invest in the UK. And I do have quite a number of properties in, in Crew And, and a, a lot of my clients invest in Stoke and, and Newcastle as well. In fact, one of my clients just bought a property in Newcastle um, just last week. So, um, yeah, we, we take them through a due diligence process. So I'm quite familiar with the areas. Good stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great backstory, Daniel. And I think there is often 
you know, something does happen that triggers an aha moment when we think actually we're doing exactly what we want to be doing or we're doing exactly what we think we should be doing. So especially at 3am with your daughter, that's definitely a significant and significant trigger. So <laughs> you decided, okay, it's going to be property. It's going to be rental income primarily that you're going to be focusing on. So did you start off by looking at the UK as a whole and then looking at different areas? And how did you stumble into our Stoke, Newcastle and Crew area? Yeah, that's a great question. So Maybe a little bit of a, a background to the mindset of international investors, especially those of us based in Asia, it could be Singapore or Hong Kong, is that property prices are just so expensive. You know, a, a small apartment is going to cost you in excess of six, seven hundred thousand pounds, and even even though it costs so much, it's not going to give you any cash flow at all. So that's that's terrible. Imagine you take that same amount of money uh, and invest it in, in properties in Crewe or, or Stoke or Newcastle, and you're going to get many more what I like to call golden goose properties that lay you golden eggs every month. So that was first, you know, it was, it was a huge aha moment for me to say that, what? You mean I can buy a terrace house in the UK for, for like a, a hundred thousand or less? Because in Singapore, it's going to cost me two or three million. And I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that I could own a portfolio of terrace houses. You know, I, it, it seems so impossible that I didn't even think about it. So when someone, you know, uh, when, when I learned uh, from my mentor that it was possible, wow, you know, the, my eyes were just open. And, and I think we, a lot of us in Asia, you know, probably don't even know about places like Crew or Stoke, <laughs> which I mean, for us as investors, it's a great thing, isn't it? Because it's a bit of a, a gold mine, or I call it a golden goose investing hotspot. Whereas a lot of amateurs just rush into big city centers, London, and maybe city center in Manchester and Liverpool and the like, without realizing that it just doesn't fit the strategy for passive income. Yeah. And when you're looking at those areas, you mentioned the word strategy there, Daniel, which is a really important word in terms of you can go into the center of Stoke, for example, and you could buy flats or you could maybe invest in student-led properties, but maybe not in the right area. So what was your initial strategy when looking at those areas? And did it work initially? Right. So great question. My initial strategy and why I got excited about the, this, this whole area that you're operating in, Amanda, is, is really the HS2. I think coming from Asia, we're all excited whenever there are train lines being built. And a lot of foreign national investors tend to buy properties next to the train station. Things are going to go up a lot in value. And therein goes back to your question on strategy, which is, you know, people hope that properties appreciate in value. But I always tell my, my clients, my students, they hope it's not a good strategy, right? Yes. And, and we're really looking more for the income from day one. And believe it or not, it's really more the spillover effect of the HS2 rather than the HS2 itself, you know, be tenants and jobs and stuff like that. So interestingly, when I first started investing in crew, I think we, we bought like a property a month for a, few, for a few months because we were so excited. I was in the UK. In fact, I'll be going up to the UK in February next year, bring a group of investors on what we call a golden goose shopping trip, right? Or a field trip. So, and it's in, in these trips where we look at properties, uh, we hunt for them, we do our due diligence and then we buy them. And the initial model was to uh, let it out as a professional HMO. But I, I think you, you, you would know this, uh, Amanda, I'm sure that uh, there, there was a challenge in, a couple of years ago in crew where there was a bit more of a challenge in the HMO market. And then we had to kind of pivot to move towards a bit of a social housing model. But interestingly, in the last year, I've seen the HMO market just recover. And, you know, our, our HMOs now are doing very well, even for professional lads, you know, um, people from the ho- working in the hospitals. So, yeah, I think what's important and what, what I've realized is there are multiple exits, right, that, uh, for, for these properties. Uh, so, yeah, that, that really is a little bit about our journey. And I, I see lots of opportunities, lots of money regeneration that the government is putting into these areas as well. So I think from a foreign national investor point of view, 
it always helps that you know you're not buying a property in the middle of nowhere where it's not connected and there's no one living there. I mean HS2 in Crewe, Crewe being sort of the hub before the HS2 splits in the north, routes split in the north. Stoke and Crewe were actually battling for who was going to have you know the main hub, and Crewe won, which we think was probably due to well, a number of different reasons. But Crewe has a really good history with railways, with trains, and they managed to get the hub there. And you know work is looking to start over the next few years, which will then take around about 10 years really to come to fruition. So it certainly is sort of a long-term gain. But I think you're right, it's about the spillover. You, know, you don't have to have a property next to the train station. Just the fact that crew has that coming and also the regeneration that the local authority then bring into the area to support it, hopefully we'll all benefit. But you, de- you certainly need to tell your investors, we definitely got to think long-term when it comes when it comes to HS2. HMOs work really well in crew. And obviously the social housing strategy that you've got into works well. So that sounds even more passive than than the normal passive strategy for you and your investors, would you say? Yeah, I mean, for investing overseas, I think a big thing, which is why we love working with people like yourselves, Amanda, is firstly, you're local to the area, you know, you know, the streets in and out, you know, what strategies work in what particular streets. And I think a big part of this is you guys being the, the hands on feet on the ground. A big part of, uh, of that is also the trust factor. So I would say, you know, for it's not so much like an amateur investor where we just buy anything and then hope that it goes up. It does involve the initial setup. I think the, for foreign nationals, the big thing is really the research and due diligence process, which one thing I always say is that we, you should never outsource that. You can outsource everything else, yes. but you need to own the decision to buy the deal. And thereafter, working with, you know, trusted networks like yourself, which takes a lot of the hassle away from the investor. A funny, funny story, Amanda, uh, this just happened yesterday. I was thinking of doing a YouTube video on it, uh, and I was thinking of titling it, Shit Happens, uh, because... <laughs> Because I got an email, I mean, pardon the French, but <laughs> I got an email saying that one of the pipes had, had burst. This is the word, word for word email. There's feces flowing out of the, the pipe. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> if I, I didn't have a team on the ground, I could call and say, hey, you know what, this happened. And then thankfully somebody said, yeah, we're on it. We're going to send a plumber. Or we're going to send someone out. I was like, phew, you know, there's, there's no chance I can deal with it, right? Because I'm so many miles away. And the funny thing is a lot of foreign investors have that false sense of security, thinking that, oh, I'm in Singapore, I'm in Hong Kong, let me buy properties within a two, three hour radius, you know, of a flight or a drive, whatever. But it's really a false sense of security because there's, there's nothing you're going you're gonna to drive there. You don't have the expertise to fit, fix it anyway. So really is, um, I would say yes to your question. We, we do look for the property to be fairly stable over time. It's really then working with, you know, professionals such as yourself that take away a lot of that headache. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, day in, day out, the the maintenance requests and the the stuff that happens here, Daniel. I could I could certainly I could write a book or two. I think, <laughs> but there you go. So you mentioned to me just before we uh, kicked off on the podcast that you've been investing in the UK for around about ten years. Is that right? That's right. Wow, that's a long time. So casting your mind back, sort of knowing what you know now, um, would you do anything differently to how you have started and progressed? Wow, that's such a great question. I think yeah. Uh, initially, when, when I was starting out, obviously, uh, I think this is a big preoccupation uh, for investors, both uh, either based in the UK or international, is you're always hunting for that one perfect or the best deal, isn't it? And, and at the start, it was very much like that because, you know, when, when you're starting out, your funds are, you know, you're, you're thinking, I, I can't afford to do a wrong deal, so to speak. It was really, a, I think, a mindset of scarcity because, I mean, even definitely you don't want to do a wrong deal. But good is the enemy of great, isn't it? So there are lots of good deals. But in my mind, I was on the hunt for a great deal. And I think there were many good deals that passed me by that perhaps, you know, it, the, the ROI was a little bit lower than what I was looking for or the refer was a bit higher than what I was prepared to do. And, you know, just waiting, waiting and waiting, just to give you an idea. In the first year, we bought one property. The second year, I think we bought one or we bought no properties. There, there was a point where, you know, I suddenly I... I, I 
I think it was a mentor who gave me a kick up the bum and, and we said, hey, Dan, you know, all that money set in the bank and you're earning like what, 0-1% interest rate. If you have bought any other property that you thought wasn't great, but it's good, you have made, you know, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12%. So I think that that's one thing that I w- would probably do differently, you know, to see it more as a portfolio approach rather than trying to strike the lottery with one property, which, which really is, uh, <laughs> I would say, it's not going to help you build your portfolio and your passive income as quickly as you would like. Absolutely. So we, you mentioned that you work with other investors locally in Singapore. And generally, your clients, are, are they on the very beginning of their portfolio building in the UK? They, they meet you at that point? Yeah, so I mentor a private group of clients who are basically working really long hours, as many and many of us do before we discover property, right? They're basically looking to create more passive income. Some of them are, you know, very good in active incomes. It could be in the, the profession that they have worked in their whole lives, doctors, lawyers, you know, people in the civil service, what have you, and not realizing that they haven't channeled that funds that they had to building passive income assets. Some people are, are like first-time investors. They have been very frugal, save monies, and are looking to buy their first investment property. Some have bought properties and have had bad experiences. Some have, you know, okay experiences in property, but just because of the cooling measures that we have in Singapore, restricting, you know, loan to values, uh, total lending, they're, they're finding it just difficult to expand their portfolio, create more passive income. So that's that's where we assist them. I think in, in the same experience that, that you and I had, it was like, wow, you know, investing in the UK, if you do it right, can help you get to your goals and, and replace your income in, in a few years. Great stuff. So if we've got an international investor at the moment, let's say they're based in Singapore, Asia, or anywhere throughout the UK, really, that hasn't yet invested into the UK market, but is considering it, any words of advice in terms of where they should start? What's the first couple of things that they should do? Wow. (laughs) That's a (laughs) difficult question. I would say it goes back to what you mentioned earlier about strategy. Ultimately, it has to fit their strategy. So if they're looking to, you know, for example, park their assets in a place that would grow you know, 20% in appreciation in a year, then probably these areas that we've, we've been talking about probably wouldn't work because it's specifically geared towards um, growing in a, in a narrow band, you know, 2%, 3% a year. And that's the way I like it because yeah. if, if there's a big market shakeout, then it's not going to be affected very much as well, which is perfect, you know, if you're investing for passive income and that's a strategy. But if they're looking, thinking very much from a capital appreciation point of view, then they need to go to where the strategy works, right? However, if they're looking to for passive income, I would say, generally not look into the south uh, or nearer to London because for for the same pound invested, you're going to get much more bang for your buck in places like Crewe and Stoke. You can buy properties like maybe 100 grand. You're going to get a good yield on the property. You know, the, the beautiful thing about this, and if you have someone like Amanda on your team managing your properties, is that they you almost forget about them. You just enjoy the, the income that you receive every month, which is kind of the goal, right, uh, for all of us as, as property investors. So, but but I think a word of caution is also not, even though your podcast is on Crew, Stoke and, and Newcastle, listeners, please don't just go there on your own. You think, oh, this is what Daniel and Amanda are saying and just buy any property in these areas because yeah. property is so street by street and, and you really need to work with people who know the area. Me, who initially didn't know anything about these areas. For us in Asia, you know, a lot of our association with, with places in the UK are football clubs. <laughs> so if, if the city is uh, doing well in football or in soccer, then, then we'll know, know a little bit more about it. You know, apart from that, it, it really is researching the area, talking to people who know the area, and importantly, people who have, who have been there and done that to, to guide you along the process. So you don't, I mean, property is an expensive game to trial and error, isn't it? Very, very. And we've made a ton of mistakes along the way. We've been investing for a similar time around about, probably about 11 years now, in mm. specifically in Stoke and Crew. You know, we've done some great deals, we've done some good deals, and we've 
I wouldn't say we've done any bad deals, but we have done deals where we thought that they were going to be better, let's say. Yeah. And we've mentioned on the podcast before, one of the very first properties that we purchased, which was in the student area of Shelton, just around the corner from Stoke University. We bought the property for £50,000. We spent about £15,000 on the refurb. We turned up on valuation day, hoping for a valuation of seventy-five, Daniel, and they valued it at the same 50 that we bought it at. And we oh. thought, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't hasn't worked as, as we thought it was going to work. But there you go. But we put some students in it. We got some great cash flow. And then we actually sold that property many years later for, for a great profit because the student market in Stoke really did rock it. And we took the opportunity to pull out some, some equity in that property and, and invest into a different strategy. So... There's always there's always a way to make it work. There are you know there's a ton of deals out there. We get presented all the time, often from international investors as well, saying you know I've been presented this deal by somebody, and it's just either wrong area, wrong strategy, or or, or it just doesn't work. So that certainly is key. You mentioned about team on the ground. Now obviously you have letting agents on the ground who are physically managing the day in, the day out, the burst pipes, the tenants, the rental income, and so on. Um, would you say there's any other core members of your UK team that you rely on, and that other investors? UK or otherwise should also be looking to to build relationships with. Yeah, certainly. I think I mean there, there are many members of the team. Who, I mean, it depends, right? If you're looking to just buy one property, then you don't really need such an extensive team. And some investors look to buy a property that's done up, you know, refurbished, tenanted. Then it's pretty straightforward. But if you're looking to build this seriously as a property business, then thinking around how you you know it's like if you run any other business, you need people in the team with their, their own expertise. And I think uh, a big part of the team that we spoke about earlier, Amanda, is, is obviously the lettings side of it. And it's this big headache where, actually as an international investor, a big fear is, you know, we can't find tenants, uh, tenants trash up our property. What do we do if they don't want to leave? Which, you know, it's like a nightmare scenario for a landlord. Obviously for, for you guys, yeah, maybe you could share a little bit uh, later if there's an opportunity, how, how would you deal with that scenario? But to answer your question, other members of the team, yeah, I, I would say builders, uh, people, uh, sourcing agents, especially if you're in, investing from overseas, people who know the areas well, which areas work well for what strategies, people who are on the ground and finding properties that are direct to vendor. I think that always helps because you know the, the, the numbers stack up better right? rather than you're looking for a property that is you know on the market that nobody wants to buy. And then here comes the next unsuspecting <laughs> foreign investor yes. being sold that property. Yeah, yeah, alongside that, I think it's, it's what people or who people might need in a team are you know, the likes of solicitors, if you're looking for more creative deals, then planning consultants. And I think a big member of the team, which I forgot to mention, is, is a good broker or lender because, you know, international international investing in the UK, financing is a, a huge hurdle to overcome, which over the years we have uh, built. I mean, in the initial years, it was, it was totally tough. I had so many doors uh, slam in my face. But, you know, for our, our, our select network of people, they do get access to members of our team that can you know, gain access to maybe 70, 75% loan to value, which is phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> for, for a first-time investor, no experience in the UK. Wow. Just summarizing there. So we've got brokers, solicitors, builders, sourcing agents, letting agents, possibly planning consultants. So if you're looking to do some planning gains or just looking to achieve planning permission on a building. So how did you start to cultivate those relationships from a distance? And how would you recommend any of our listeners start to, you know, how, how would find, you know, good people? Yeah. people. That's a great question. And, and I think one way, I mean, the way I did it was to seek out a mentor who okay. already had these networks of people. But over the years, I realized that actually my, my whole team that I have now is almost different from the initial team that was introduced to me because, you know, we all have our different working styles, preferences. Along the way, you, you meet different people. 
And I think the, the answer was kind of in the question that you asked, Amanda, which is really about relationships. I mean, people often think property is just about numbers and, you know, and all that. But I think a big part of it is, is the relationship, isn't it? And that's why, you know, we're on a podcast today like this, because we met in a room many years ago, probably didn't, didn't know each other then, but we continue to stay in touch and help each other out. And I think it, it really is, I, I would say a tip for investors, both in the UK and and even overseas is ask yourself this question, what would make someone like, you know, a, a member of the, the a team that you need on the ground, someone like Amanda, what would make Amanda want to work with you more as opposed to, you know, the many other clients that she has? Is it because you move quickly? Is it because you, uh, when you ask, you email her questions, you, you send in all the questions in one email or do you send one, <laughs> one question a day just to check that she's checking her emails? You know, simple things like that, I think. Always putting yourself in, in the other person's shoes. Um, how can you make life easier for them? What would their ideal client look like? Yeah, these are questions I often ask myself. How can I add value to the members of the team? Uh, could I, what can I do to make their life better? So, I, I, and I do this not to, you know, it's not a, what do I say? It's not, I'm not doing this to try to get an outcome because people can tell if you're sincere or not, right? So if, if you really are interested in people in their lives, then, you know, people will take care of you as well. And I find that really has created the, the longest lasting relationships. And many of these members of the team started off professional, you know, working professionally, but a lot of them have become good friends as well. That's really good yeah. to hear. And did I just hear you say that some of your clients are getting 70, 75% loan to values and good interest rates? Was I writing here in that? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's good because I remember a few years back, we were approached by a lot of international investors. They were screaming because whilst they could get generally good loans to values, the interest rates were 7 and 8% plus, I think, being generated broadly from one lender. But having spoke to a number of other investors recently, most recently I was speaking to actually probably somebody that you know, I won't mention his name. He's a gentleman who positions himself between Singapore, the UK, and another European country. And he was saying he's getting some stuff around the 4.5 or 4.9% mark, which, yes, it's a little bit higher than the UK investors, but still starts to make the deals a little bit more attractive. How are you finding the finance markets, uh, Daniel? Yeah, I think they're more definitely compared to when we, we started investing. There are a lot more options uh, opening up even for foreign nationals, though I would say it's still... Um, you know, if you're trying to go to a, a high street bank, if you go to a bank in your local country, this, they're going to tell you you can only buy properties in London zones one and two. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, seriously, because that's the way they assess risk. And they think that yes. if you're in London zone one and two, it's safer, not realizing that probably, you know, you're not going to get very much cash flow after you deduct the, the mortgage. So it, it beats me why, I mean, Actually, I mean, you and I know the, the reason because the employee working in the bank assessing risk isn't a property investor yes. himself or herself, right? So they just think differently. But I would say, yeah, the, the lending options have definitely broadened. You probably can get 4-ish percent once you're an experienced landlord with an established track record, uh, credit score and stuff like that. But even for new new investors, uh, we do have connections to get them maybe in a 5-ish range, yeah, even at 70 to 75%. Yeah, which, like you say, is a game changer because initially when I started investing, yeah, I paid the 7-ish percent interest rates. But, you know, even at, that's a, the beautiful thing, right? that even deals in crew and stoke, even paying 7% interest, the deal still works. It still gives me cash flow. Um, I think the important thing is to realize that it's the tenants that are paying the interest rates, not, not us. So even though it's, it's uh, so high, it's important to then check the numbers before you buy the deal to see if with that, that level of interest rates, you know, does it still stack up? Does it still cash flow? Yeah. Of course, over, over time, if you work with someone who is experienced, they will then be able to help you to bring the interest rates on the portfolio down and squeeze yeah. out more yeah. yield on the portfolio, which actually I recently done for my portfolio as well. Yeah. Good. And yeah. I think that's why a lot of the international investors go straight for HMOs because 
the HMOs can take the higher interest rates where perhaps the buy-to-lets can't. So it seems to me that a lot of the uh, international investors are going in for HMOs. Just something there to mention on capital growth and income. So we know that Stoke and Crew is all about yield, and that's why we buy there to generate a good return on investment. But just for anyone who does have, have property in, in Stoke and Crew, we bought our early properties probably for around about £50,000 for a three-bed terrace house. For that same three-bed terrace house, albeit it was you know needed refurbishment, for that same three-bed terrace house now, pre-pandemic, you, you could probably pick it up for about 80 or 90. Post-pandemic and this sort of mini boom that we're experiencing here in the UK, you're probably looking at 100, 110. Yeah. So that has fit the perfect property, you know, tends to double in seven to 10 years. It's not a hard and fast rule, but we know that over time we are going to get growth. So if we do look forward 10 years, we will start to see that sort of 50 to 100 percent increase, not only with good rental income now, but even better rental income over time. We do have, you know, the start of potentially a little hike of inflation here in the UK at the moment. So naturally, there might be a little rental increase that comes along with that as well. So we're kind of winning on all areas as long as we can maintain those properties over that period of time, keep the tenants, keep them cash flow and keep them in good condition and hopefully not have too many burst pipes along the way and, uh, <laughs> and problems to deal with. So we've mentioned a lot about sort of analysing deals for international investors to buy um, themselves, working with sourcing agents. Have you done any sort of joint ventures or do any of your clients do any joint ventures in the UK or do they more just like to purchase on their own? How do they sort of structure their deals? Yeah, I think... You know, initially for a lot of these clients, they start off, you know, just owning the deal straight up, either individually or through a UK limited company. And I think with ownership of the property then comes, you know, they, they feel like this, it's a bit safer. They have a bit more control and ownership of the property. So I would say most of the clients uh, do it that way. In terms of joint ventures, I mean, they're, they're, it's important to make sure that you, you know who you're doing the joint venture with. So I do know some some investors who do that, but, you know, I, I personally don't do joint ventures with, with these investors that, that are part of my network just because of I don't want to have a conflict of interest uh, with that. But at the same time, you know, if it's just because as a joint venture, there's a lot more, you know, due diligence that needs to go into the deal, both the, for the partner, for the deal. So it depends on the goals of the investor. If they want to take things to the next level, then great. Because, you know, if you're going to buy buy to lets, you're not going to get to say, if your goal is to be, maybe have a 20 grand a month income or you know, generate 500000 in a year in a profit from a sale of a property, then that's going to take you a lot of buy-to-lets and HMOs. <laughs> so you, you, so you, you, you kind of got to operate on the next level. That's where maybe where the joint ventures come in. But if you're someone, you're an investor, and you're thinking, hey, what, you know what, I, I don't really need to, be, to, to do that. I'm quite happy if I have three or four HMOs, I have, you know, a few grand of passive income coming in, and you can work to that over time, you know, be it and I would say that's that's an important question to ask yourself, right? Like Mendo was saying, if there's a hundred thousand or hundred ten per property, how much rent would that generate? How much passive income will you get from that one property? And then reverse engineering that to say, okay, if I need you know two grand a month to cover my basic bills, then how many of these properties do I need cash? Would I need to then be able to buy those properties? And when can I get that cash? So you, you're almost from, from a dream, it becomes almost a reality where, oh, okay, I know with this amount of savings, I can buy one property now. And if I continue working, I save and I put my bonuses together, I probably can buy one more in maybe say three years time. Great. And, and maybe the next one in another two years time. And there you have it. You have your plan to, to work towards that. So I think that's, that's the thing where, where when it comes to investing in property, back to what you mentioned, a lesson that I learned from maybe 10 years back and now is... 
I've learned to be more patient. <laughs> you know, we all want to, to uh, smash our targets in one year and two years. And it took me a lot longer than I had expected. But you know what? It's, it's an eventuality if you just keep your eyes focused on the goal. And, you know, it's not too bad to retire in, in even five, 10 years time when most of your peers are probably still working till, you know, I don't know when, God knows when. They, they probably need to continue working their whole lives. Yeah. So slow is fast. I think that's one thing I've, I've realized. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I mean, you and I are a similar age, Daniel. And yeah. I think slow and steady wins the race is certainly our mantra within our business and consistency. You know, if you're consistent in what you're doing over time, you'll get the results. But the get rich quick and the build a portfolio overnight and so on can work in the short term. Uh, I'm not quite sure how much longevity that that strategy has over time. I guess only time will tell. Yeah. So you've really built up a network in, in, in Singapore and over Asia in terms of what you've been doing because you've been doing it for so long now. And I think the UK, especially the north of the UK over the last 10 years has become, you call it the golden goose hotspots, but it has become of more and more interest to international investors. So just for our listeners, just explain a little bit more about how you work with your clients. You mentioned a shopping trip coming over to the UK next year. <laughs> just talk to us a little bit about that. I'm intrigued. Yeah, sure. I think, well, first of all, I run uh, quite a number of, uh, you know, free webinars. There's one coming out next Tuesday, and it's really meant to educate people because this is a funny story that, that uh, funny that you asked me this because a lot of times when I, I first started, I, I think earlier we were chatting about the same, right? When we start getting ourselves in a property business, build our portfolios, get a passive income, what we really want is then to just live life happily ever after, isn't it? That's what everybody wants to do. So people then ask me, why then do you do this? Why are you educating the students? And it really kind of came from a place of, I would say, pain, uh, where quite a number of close friends that I know had uh, invested their hard-earned savings in properties. And they know that I invest in the UK. So they came to me and said, hey, Dan, I know you invest in the UK. Instead of saying, can you help me or can you teach me how to do it? They came to me and they said, my investment went wrong. You know, I, I can't rent it out. I can't sell it. What do I do? And as you say, it, it really boils down to knowing the area, having the right knowledge. So when I looked at that property, it was just in the wrong areas. I was like, no wonder you can't rent it out. So, and that pained me because th these people were, you know, friends from, from school, people that I actually care about. And that's when my mentor gave me a kick, another kick. I, I think my bum is quite bruised by now. I mean, <laughs> in this podcast, you, you heard lots of kicks. But uh, he said, how many more people do you want to see lose money in property before you start sharing with them what you know? And that, that hit me, yeah. And that's the reason why I, I, I thought, you know, if I could come over two hours, share with people what I've done, mistakes I've made so that they don't make the same mistakes, things I've learned, deals I've done, to kind of accelerate the process. I mean, you and I have been investing for 10, 11 years. Even this podcast, which, which is why I'm so, so happy to, to come on board to share, because if someone listens to this and they just take away one, one thing from this time, from a podcast on Amanda's session and they apply it, it's going to compress the time, isn't it? It's not going to take them the same amount of time that you and I took to build to where we are at. So from there, those who are keen, you know, really can come on a two and a half day with me, a masterclass where I compress lessons over 10 years, you know, and, and from I, I invite people who are experienced People who have done deals, students have students that have gone on to be successful to share about their deals. And in fact, um, we have the next one coming up in November, where one of our, our students that's invested in Stoke is going to come back and share about their deal. Yeah. Brilliant, yes. And I think the, the beautiful thing about this is really a network that of like-minded people that give back, they, they're thinking abundance and supporting each other, cheering each other on. Whenever somebody buys another golden goose property, you know, they're there to, to support each other, cheer each other on. And if they have questions, as you you and I know, we're, we're, this, we're, we're always learning uh, in, in this industry, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, if they, have a, if they have a question, they can ask and there's a community of investors to then support them. Yeah. And for those who want to come with me to the UK, I always tell them that 
First of all, there's great roast duck in Bayswater. <laughs> so that's the, re- that's the real reason why we're there. Um, but uh, <laughs> the secondary reason is to then go into the investing hotspots. Definitely want to go over to Crew and Stoke. Other areas, we might pop by to visit you as well, Amanda. Really? Absolutely. Um, Very welcome. And, and I think that's, that's part of, like, it goes back to what you mentioned. How do you build a team of people that you can trust, even if you're investing remotely in Singapore uh, and have peace of mind? I think it's in trips like these, uh, meeting people like you face-to-face, understanding what you do, your own journey, knowing that you're an investor yourself. I think all these, you know, this just builds assurance. And I, I would say for those of you listening on this part, podcast and you haven't done anything in property or you haven't spoken to Amanda and her team, pick up the phone, write an email, you know, head to her office, whatever, you know, and, and do something. I think the important thing is you could listen to a thousand podcasts and if you do nothing, it's not going to help you because yeah. knowledge is one thing, but I think applying the knowledge is, is a big thing. And do the first deal, you know, and, and from there, it's, it's always, the first deal is always the most challenging, right? And the most difficult. But from there, you build confidence. You see, oh, wow, you know, these people really conduct, conduct themselves professionally. They deliver on what they say they're going to do. And that's how trust is built. And then you do your second and your third and, and you're off. Good stuff. Look, Daniel, I mean, um, what, I think what you're doing at, in, in Singapore and Asia is great. And it's allowing people to make savvy investments into the UK. And not just investments that work for them but also investments that are working well for the local community and the areas that they're investing in because you know a HMO in the wrong area or a student-led property in the wrong area it doesn't serve you guys and it also doesn't serve the local community because it's not bringing something that's needed so if the sourcing agents and people like ourselves can point you and your clients in the right direction in terms of this is where the you know the demand is because this is what the the community needs whether it be social housing buy to lets. I mean, we have a huge social housing need in the UK, which is growing. And I was actually on a webinar with a lady only a few weeks ago talking about that she just does, cannot get enough housing for her particular need in what she does with regards to social housing. So if we can, you know, share that with you guys, you can then buy the properties that serve the local community. It's a win-win on both sides. Because I think there can be both positive and negative mindset locally about international investment into an area i think we all know that international investment is good but sometimes the local community aren't always as open to it so i think if it serves them well it just creates even more good you know local relationships as well so daniel yeah. listeners if they want to get in contact with you going forward what's the best way to do so well yeah great thanks for that i just wanted to comment on what you said about serving the community and i think you're absolutely spot on that and that's a big part of our philosophy i always tell the investors you know it's, it's about doing it with integrity you're restoring you know houses that maybe are derelict and you know turn it turning it into a home for people and i'm getting goosebumps even as i share that because you know i really strongly believe in that and, and if you're creating a good then it's, it's about win-win and you know as you for those of you who are new in business, you might have your own preconceived notions about what property investing or what business is about. But I think that I strongly believe that we can do business from a place of integrity, from a place of win-win, from a place of um, you know all parties benefiting from it. So yeah, and to your question of people who want to be in touch, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, if you just go on YouTube and search Born Poor Die Rich, you should be able to find a channel there. You can go to my website, bornpoordirich.com. Or if you have a specific question, you can also email me at uh, hello at bornpoordirich.com. And I think a, a little bit on the philosophy of Born Poor Die Rich, it's not a bad chase for money, but maybe a nice note for, for us to think about is as we buy property, it's, it's a great vehicle to generate passive income and yield. But what is the end destination that this vehicle will help us get to? What does that rich life, a life of purpose really mean for us? And for me, it's a lot about time with family, time with the kids, time freedom, rather than chasing the next promotion, working weekends and stuff like that. Good stuff. Great. Well, this has been fantastic. It's been a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast and no doubt we'll have you on again soon. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Amanda. Take care. 
hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if so, please hit subscribe and share with those who you think would enjoy it too. To get in touch with Paul and Amanda directly, please visit their website, www.essentialpropertyoptions.co.uk for more information. We look forward to sharing with you on the next episode.